The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So uh, we are finishing our series through 2 Corinthians today, which to me it's kind of like saying goodbye to an old friend. We've spent a lot of time in this letter together, and I hope, I know it's worked for me, I hope for you, you found courage on so many different levels handle so many different challenges. That's really what the letter's been all about. There's challenges in our circumstances, our situations, our relationships, in our hearts, all these challenges to face on so many levels. And this letter over and over again has been giving us courage, strength in the midst of something difficult to move forward, to face the challenge, to walk in obedience to Jesus. So as we finish, finish up this letter, I was kind of imagining how the Corinthians might feel as they were finishing up the letter. Uh, if, you, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know Paul's been really laying it on, on some work they have to do. They've been a mess in what they believe. They've been a real mess in how they're treating one another. They've been a mess in how they're living. And so Paul's been giving them strong direction on, hey, this is what the gospel is. Let's, let's trust that. Hey, this is how we should treat one another because of it. Hey, this is how we should live in the world. He's been giving them God's call, hasn't he? And in this time, just like every other time, he's gonna finish with, after he gives the call, what's he gonna give? He's gonna give an encouragement. You can do it. Four verses of encouragement. You know what this text reminds me of? Um, have, you ever, have you ever had a situation in your life where you were partnering with somebody, friend, family member, and they were about to face a challenge. And you, you walked with them like to the starting line of that challenge, and then you gave them some last words. Um, it's Father's Day today. Um, I remember cele- celebrating my first Father's Day with you 12 years ago on a Sunday morning uh, with, Jack- with Jackson uh, being born. Since then, I've been able to witness five amazing deliveries of children. Um, you know, this, remi- this text reminds me of that, because, you know, my wife, she would have a plan for how, how she wanted this delivery to go. Now, granted, it doesn't always go according to plan, but she, but she, had, she had a plan, and then what was my job as I, walked, as I walked with her through that process? You can do it. Rem- remember your plan. I mean, she, she wrote it up. Remember your plan. You can do it. You can do it. It was a pump you up I, I, to be there and say, come on, come on, you can do it. Another thing I remember, and, and, may, and maybe you've experienced this as well, is uh, a couple months ago, my son was in a competition, um, an academic competition, and I remember just walking him up to the, to the starting line on this and saying, remember what you've studied, but then, then what am I saying? You can do it, and even if you don't do it, you're loved, but you can do it. Have you ever had that kind of a moment? Your heart's way up high. You care so much about this person. They're facing a challenge, and then you're giving them a one more, hey, remember the basics, and then you're giving them a, you can do it. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what Paul's doing here. Remember the basics. You can do it. It's courage for our calling. So what I'd like to do today in the little title I slapped on this sermon is Courage for Fatherhood, and everything else. Courage for fatherhood and, and everything else. This is anything God's calling you to, um, courage for you in this passage. But also today is Father's Day, and wouldn't you agree Father's Day is somewhat of a calling from God? Father, fatherhood is a calling, a serious calling. So what I'd like to do is, 
I'd like to just remember basics of our calling as Christians that we've seen from this letter. Remember the basics of our calling. And then, and then give you a moment as you're, as you're listening to that and thinking of it, I, I would like for you to ask yourself, what's, what's, God, what's God calling me to right now? And there could be a thousand different details on what that looks like, depending on where you're at in your life. But we're gonna look at the basics of our calling as Christians. And then I wanna see just a little bit too, and, it, and it's in this letter, of our calling for those of us who are fathers. What is, what is some of that calling? And after we think about our calling as Christians, then we're gonna see three ways Paul gives us encouragement for this text. So courage for the calling. So whatever your calling is this morning, try to identify that. And then, set, and then the next part will be, hey, let's look at three different boosts that the Lord wants to give us for that calling from this passage. So our calling and then courage for the calling, all right? First of all, the calling. How would you sum up what God wants for you? And there's, again, there's details, right? Depending on where you, you're at work on Tuesday morning, God's call for you, and the detail looks a little bit different than when you're at church on Sunday morning in the details of what you're doing, right? But in the principle, in the ultimate call, isn't it kind of the same? Let's remember this verse. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, two to three. You really see the main principle of God's call for our lives. 2 Corinthians 11, verses two to three. Paul wrote, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Verse three, but I'm afraid, then he says, I'm afraid your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What's God's call on your life? What's the heart of it that wraps up any and every detail, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What does devotion mean? Um, I think you can sum it up in two words, an affectionate commitment. An affectionate commitment. So you, I guess you could be committed to something without much affection. Maybe it's a legal contract. You signed your name. You got you to do what you said you're going to do, but... It's not really about your affections. Devotion has commitment in it. It has loyalty in it, but it has an affection to it as well. You love this person. You, you care deeply. There's a passion element. And even the illustration Paul's using in this verse, it's the illustration of marriage, right? It's kind of from an older world setting, but a father, um, his daughter is going to get married, and he is deeply concerned that his daughter would have eyes for her husband only. That she would, so that's, that, that's where that affection comes from. It's, from. it's the idea of a wife to a husband. And so Paul says, hey, you, you, you church, you're the bride of Christ. This is what I want for you more than anything, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So the first question is you ask yourself, and I'm, I'm giving you the answer already, what's God's call for your life? A sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. Okay, now just... Spiritual pulse, where are you in that? Where are you in that? But you know, I don't want you to hear it as a law thing. You know how law feels? It's kind of got the uh, Gestapo mentality. 
we're watching you. Are you devoted enough? You know, if we, if we take it law like that, burdensome like that, is that going to stir up affection in you or is that going to stir up frustration in you? Are you going to be like, oh, I love this? Or are you going to be like, let me out, set me free, get me out of this cage? Yeah. How do you get a sincere and pure devotion to Christ? Isn't it to remember his devotion for you? Can you just remember the basics with me again? And feel it again? What has Jesus done for you? He's eternally God, right? And then one day he took somewhat of a demotion. Do you remember what he did for you? He came. He came. He took on flesh, humbled himself, suffered. He came. He lived a perfect life for you, representing you. Then what did he do? The ultimate moment. He died on a cross for you. My friends, don't let the truth of the gospel just be a list of facts that you got to get straight. Jesus wasn't thinking of facts when he was bleeding. He was loving his people. Practically, actually, passionately, he died for you. What is that other than devotion? Is he not more devoted to you than you've ever been to him at your greatest moment? He is devoted to you. He rose for you. He reigns for you. He's coming back for you. He's preparing a place for you. How does Jesus feel about his people? He's devoted. He's devoted. And he's devoted to those who don't deserve it. Have you earned his devotion? Or is he devoted to you out of grace? Love you don't deserve that he gives anyway. When you can see that, can't you feel what happens? What starts to stir in you when you see the gospel again? We, devotion to Christ is not supposed to come down on you like a law. It is a command. But it can't come down on you like a law because if you, if you look at it that way, you'll never be devoted. You'll just feel guilty. But when you see his devotion to you in the gospel, that even though you've never been devoted to him as you should, me neither, he fulfilled the law. He was always devoted to his father. And he's totally devoted to you. Doesn't that stir your heart a little bit when you see his love for you? What do you want to be? I want to be devoted to Christ. That's God's call on your life. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, everything's changed. You are not, what are you not anymore? You're not your own. Engage with that for a moment. When you think of God's call on your life, are you called to just do whatever you want, whatever you feel at your timing? You're not your own if you're a Christian. You've been bought with a price. And of course, what was the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. And those who know and, and cherish this gospel 
I mean, can't you, aren't you happy that you're not your own? I tried that on. You tried living like you're your own? It, it's ruinous. It's horrid. I don't want to be my own anymore. I want to be devoted to Jesus. And I think every Christian heart feels that way. That's God's call on your life to be devoted to Jesus. Now, of course, it plays out in a lot of different hats that we wear in life. What does it mean to be devoted to Jesus at work? It means doing excellent work. It means being great to your co-employees. It means your attitude toward your boss. It means all that stuff. What does it mean for you uh, in relationships? It means a lot, right? It means a lot for being a, a friend. It means a lot for being a spouse. And guess what else it means a lot for? Being a father. So we're, here, we're still thinking about God's call in our lives. I want to think about God's call to fathers here just for a moment um, from 2 Corinthians. You know, as I studied through this letter, there was a few nuggets here that stood out uh, where Paul is thinking in fatherhood terms. You know, we can ask that question. What is, it, what is fatherhood supposed to look like when you're devoted to Christ? Look at 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. This is how Paul began the letter. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. Paul writes there, Blessed be the God and what? Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of what? Mercies. And the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. When he begins this letter, where's the first place he takes our eyes? The fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God. We could, we could go through stat after stat, societal ill after societal ill, issue after issue, and talk about how powerful and fundamental the role of fatherhood is for humanity. It is just fact that good, responsible fathers bless society, and a lack of responsible fathers ruins society. If you want to talk more about that in detail, I would love to talk with you about it. But it's just a fact. And it, makes, it, it kind of amazes me to see the importance of fatherhood in this way, because, again, what is God... What's the, what's the top, the most precious term God uses for his relationship with his people? You know, the disciples came up to Jesus in the Gospels. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, here's how you start. Our, our Father. Our Father. You, you're not really going to get prayer, Jesus says. You're not even going to understand how this works until you see God in a certain way, that he has said that you can call him Father. We could go through text after text after text. The, the, the height of being a Christian, the, the, the glory of being a Christian, is to be able to come to the creator and judge of the universe and have him say, yeah, I'm creator, yeah, I'm judge, but here's what I want you to call me. Call me Father. What an amazing, amazing privilege. And so human fatherhood is so important. Why? 
because we glorify the ultimate father. We represent the ultimate father, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important. Now, I just need, I just need to admit, right, for how many of us is Father's Day a painful day? It's a painful day. I mean, in one hand, we're celebrating fathers. Praise God for the, for the good fathers in our lives. Praise God for everything good about every father that we had. Thank God. And yet, many of us are sitting in here, and maybe if it's not you, it's somebody you know, and Father's Day hurts. Their father wasn't around. Father was abusive. Father was this. Father was that. We know it's all, it's all over the world. It's all over our lives. It's unavoidable. It's real truth. Our fathers haven't always measured up. Heck, I'm looking at myself. I haven't always measured up. So there's a pain to it. We almost don't even want to talk about it. And, and some people say it's so hard to relate with God as father because of that. But here, I want to I press on the pain here just for a moment. If you heard about your father, the pain even tells you something. The pain tells you what your father should have been. Right? Your pain tells you what the father should have been, which means you know something. In what you're missing, you know what the real God is actually like. He is everything you ever hope for in your father. And in the gospel, his call to you is, come trust me that way, I'll be that to you. I'll be your father. What a glorious promise that God is our father. And as we want to glorify him, it shows us some things about our calling. Uh, for one, we already looked about, at it. He's the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Doesn't take a theological scientist here. If God is full of mercy and comfort, as our Father in heaven, what should human fathers be like who want to be devoted to Christ? What should, we be full of mer- what, what should we be full of towards our children? Full of mercy and comfort. So, so, a, so a father, a human father, wants to be devoted to Christ. That's my call. I want my kids to feel like I'm merciful to them, which means I've got compassion for their situation. I'm not just demanding, I'm not just a dictator, I'm not just laying down laws. I really care about who they are. And, I, and then in the, all their affliction and all their troubles, I want to be a source of what? Comfort. Hey, it's all right, I'm here for you. You can make it, you can do it. Fathers, glorify the heavenly Father as we comfort with merciful hearts. That's our call, isn't it, fathers? It's our call. Not only that, and we saw this text already as well in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a a pure virgin to Christ. Again, that's an illustration from the ancient world. It doesn't play in the same way today, but especially in arranged marriage, the father had a passion and a goal to, to kind of protect and preserve his daughter so that she'd be ready to be devoted to her husband. We can take the principle, can't we? Paul says, I'm like a father to you, church, in Corinth. I told you the gospel, I planted you. I wanted you to be devoted to Jesus. So I'm going to protect you as I write you this letter. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to stand for you. I feel jealousy. I'm invested. I'm engaged. I care about this. So what do you think? What are human fathers called to do? We're called to protect our children. Stand up for our children. 
be there for our children, even with a jealousy. A father who's devoted to Jesus, what do we want for our kids more than anything else? I want them to be devoted to Jesus. That is like the, that is the number one prayer request for me. I can die happy if I know my kids love you, Lord Jesus. Please give this to me. Please give this to me. Fathers comfort, fathers protect. Here's another one Paul mentioned. We saw it last week. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 to 15. Paul says, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. I won't be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. We can just pause there for a moment. For the apostle, when he would visit a church, he would not take support from that church. He would take support from other churches to go to that church. But when he was with that church, he was there free. He was making a statement. The gospel's free. You don't have to pay for this. And I love the way he talked. He said, I won't be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. I don't want things from you, Corinthians. I want your heart. And we've seen what he wants for their heart. What does he want for their heart? Devotion to Jesus. And then look what Paul says. Children are not obliged to save up for their parents. I got to change my talk because I'm always telling my kids, hey, are you going to let dad live with you when, you're, when, when he's old? Save your money. I got a high standard of living. Children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And then look at what the heart of what he says in 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. This is the heart of a father. I will pour myself out for you financially, emotionally, relationally, because I'm here for your benefit. Fathers provide. They provide. I'm going to spend myself for you. Do you see the heart of the apostle here? He's like a father of the church. Who's he glorifying? The father in heaven. And so we want to glorify the father in heaven as human fathers devoted to the Lord. This is our calling so just to back up what we're doing, we're looking at our calling first and then courage for it. Have you seen a piece of your calling, even if you're not, of course? Most of us aren't fathers. If you, if you, have you seen your calling? It's to be devoted to Christ. So take a second here. Get one thing down. What's God calling you to right now? And I guess another way to ask that is, what, is, what does devotion to Christ mean for you today? What is he asking you to do? could be a lot of different things. Maybe it's, hey, come back. Maybe it's, hey, you know there's, there's this practice you gotta, you gotta quit. Maybe it's, hey, you, you need to act in a certain way. What's he calling you to do? What's he calling you to do? And, es and especially, fathers, which one of these things, to glorify the Father in heaven, what's the Father in heaven calling you to do? Say, hey, glorify me like this. Right? What's he saying? Get that down. Now the question how many of you need courage for this? <laughs> you need courage? You hear God's call and you feel almost broken by it? It almost feels discouraging to you, depressing, too hard, too high? Uh, you looked at things, ways you've messed it up or ways you feel broken by it? Now we need courage. We need courage. Strength that says what? You're loved. You can do it. You're loved, you can do it. Come on. I'm with you. You're loved, you can do it. So let's look at three, 
Three powerful places to find courage. So 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. What's the first thing Paul says? Finally, brothers, or brothers and sisters, that fits in that Greek word. Finally, brothers, and then what's the command? Rejoice. Now, first glance, how do you like commands like that? You're feeling down, discouraged, overwhelmed, and somebody says, hey, be happy. As if you've got this special button somewhere, and you just, you know, you just push it. Oh, things are great. Rejoice. To me, this is, at first glance, is one of the most frustrating commands in the Bible. Oh, are you feeling down? Just rejoice. Got it? Okay. Just rejoice. Feeling overwhelmed? Burdened? Had a hard life? Bad circumstances? Just be happy. And you really want to be like, shh, shh. <laughs> right? I know what I want to do with this rejoice preacher. <laughs> rejoice in this, buddy. Right? Do you think it means something? Is there something here? Is there something here? One of my favorite phrases from Paul, it's earlier in this letter, is he says, sorrowful yet, he says, we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So please, don't think Paul is some happy-go-lucky, super rich, um, therapeutic, materialistic, suck money from the poor kind of preachers. He's not, that, he's not that guy at all. You read through this letter, you're gonna see the man has suffered more than any of us. He has suffered, he knows how to suffer. He has gone through hard trials, he's in them right now. Um, that's just real. So he's not saying this fake, happy, put on a waxy smile about things. That's not what he means at all. How can you be sorrowful yet always rejoicing? Philippians 4.4 makes it more plain. What's Paul saying in Philippians 4.4? Rejoice where? In the Lord when? Rejoice where? In the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Do you know where he is when he wrote that letter, Philippians? He's in a Roman jail. Which means that joy is not ultimately based in your circumstances. This is most, one of the most powerful ideas you can ever embrace. We think, we assume, we feel, we act like joy is about our circumstances. Don't get me wrong, circumstances affect joy, for sure. Is it easier to be happy when the sun is shining, you're healthy, you're eating delicious food with people you like? Sure. Harder, more challenging to be happy when you're sick, there's no food, and there's uh, frustration in all your relationships. Yeah, it's more difficult. It is. However, uh, why are Americans, the richest people to ever walk the face of the earth, so depressed? Why do celebrities say, I have nothing to live for? And you know this in your heart of hearts. You had a vacation once and everything built up to it and it was gonna be perfect and you got there and the sun was shining and the food was good and you still weren't happy. Your circumstances won't do it for you, folks. They cannot give you joy. This is it right here. Rejoice where? In the Lord. In the Lord. Which means you gotta stare him down and look at Jesus. 
you got to look at Jesus and who he is to and for you. And if you see it, guess what will stir in your heart? Joy. So we looked at law, didn't we? Anybody feel the burden of the law when we talk about calling? Hey, be devoted to Jesus in everything. How do you feel so far? I can't. We looked at God's calling in fatherhood. Hey, you need to comfort with mercy and um, what else you need to do? You need to protect and you need to provide for your children spiritually, physically, in their hearts. You got to do this. How do you feel, fathers? Okay, I'm standing up here and I'm aware I have not done this as I should. What do you do when you encounter the law in the Bible? What do you do? Thou shalt not lie. You got two options. You can soften the law and be like, well, he means like the really, really bad lies. And I'm okay when it comes to that. So you can pretend, have a pretend law that you fit and, you, and go ahead and try to lie to yourself, pretend you're a great person who keeps the law. But then you'll know you're lying, which is bad because what was the command? Thou shalt not lie. You shouldn't even lie about how good you're, you're not. What do you do when you hit the law and you know you haven't kept it? Where do you look? You look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. What has he done? He fulfilled the law. He kept it perfectly. And for all who trust in Jesus, who look to him and say, save me, I need you. What does God apply to you? What does he dress you with? The righteousness of Jesus. Do you understand that if you trust in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he's no longer going like, I don't know about this one. It's not as hard towards you at all. When he looks at you, if you've trusted in Christ and you're wearing Christ's righteousness, guess what he sees? Guess what he says about you? Perfect. Perfect. Can you find any joy there? You're right with God in Christ. He looks at you like you've... The cross. Look at the cross. Does Jesus love you? Would he really go there and do that? If he had no concern for you? If he had no mercy for you? If he was going to forget you and blow you off later, would he really suffer the wrath of God on a, on a cross? What's his heart towards you? He loves you. He's paid for your sins. Can you find any joy there? What, what did he do after that? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Doesn't it seem like evil's going to win? It seems like evil's going to win. Watch the news. Look at your heart. Look at your relationships. Look at the world. Why is there any hope anything's ever going to get better? Oh, we have a new idea, and it's going to change everything and make it right. Yeah, we've played that game. It always leads to millions of people dying. I'm a cynic, except Saturday night ended, and Sunday morning came, and what happened? Jesus rose from the dead, which means death dies. It means evil loses. It means injustice will end. It means he's won. He's won the victory for you. It's as good as done. He, he's alive. He reigns. Can you find any joy in that? And what's his promise now? He's with you. He wants you to relate with him. He wants to give you strength. He wants you to know him, to fellowship with him, 
have a relationship with him. Can you get any joy out of that? The more you look at Jesus, folks, that's the source of what? Joy. I love how Nehemiah put it in Nehemiah 8.10. You realize the context in Nehemiah here is people who've been rebelling against God, coming and fasting and saying, God, forgive us. It's people who weren't good enough. And they come to the Lord, and what does the prophet say to him in Nehemiah 8.10? Don't be grieved. Why? The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength. It's another way to say, it's your courage. It's your courage. You can find the courage to walk in your call from where? The joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So I gotta ask you, maybe your call today to be, voted to, to be devoted to Christ, maybe God's call in your life is to cultivate joy in Jesus. Do you hear that? And just back up for a moment. What's, what's Paul saying every Christian should do all the time? Rejoice where? In the Lord when? Always. Are you going to? Do you want, do you want to? Are you going to pursue this? Is, it, is this for you or is this just for the varsity Christians? If you're a pastor, you got to rejoice in the Lord always. The rest of you, keep complaining. It's okay. I mean, this, this should fire us up. How do, I, how do I do this? How do I cultivate this? When, when, we, when we want you to read your Bible and pray every day, it's not so you can check the box and be like, oh, finally, I'm a good person. It's not it at all. What's one reason we want to have satisfying devotional time with the Lord? Because we need to rejoice in him always, which means we've got to see him. We've got to think about him. We've got to listen to him. We've got to pray to him. We've got to trust him. And by the way, it's your strength, which means if you're not rejoicing in the Lord always, what are you going to be? Weak. You won't be able to follow your call. Courage for your call comes from the joy of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Second place to find courage. Verse 11 still. First, you get more calling, don't you? Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What's he saying here? How, do you, how would you wrap all that up? He wants them to aim for unity, doesn't he? These are all relational things. He wants them to aim for unity with one another. So what's it mean to pursue Restoration. This is pretty practical, folks. This is about when relationships break. It's about when relationships are hard. It's about when we can't talk to each other anymore. It's about when we don't trust each other anymore. It's about when we're far away. We don't give each other the benefit of the doubt anymore. We don't listen to one another anymore. And Paul says, okay, I need you to aim somewhere. Aim for what? Restoration. You, you gotta build this back up. You gotta mend it. You gotta sew it back together. You gotta come back together. You gotta get reconciled. You gotta, you gotta get right. You gotta confess your, your part in it. You gotta ask for forgiveness, no excuses. You gotta listen. You gotta pull back. 
This is a command of the church, right? A church has had a hard time with one another. So question, this is God's call. Are we aiming for restoration with one another? Are we trying to keep our hearts clean towards one another as a church? And does, does this play at home as well for fathers? Oh yeah, it plays. Are we aiming for restoration with our wives? Are we aiming for restoration with our kids? It's God's call. Comfort one another. And we've seen that already. He's the God of comfort. What does it mean to comfort one another? Well, it's, it's an encouragement thing, right? What are we supposed to be like in the church for one another? It's, it's really hard to do. When you're feeling down and depressed and lonely, what do you want to do when it comes to church? I know what you want to do. You want to stay in bed by yourself. Am I right? You want to stay in bed by yourself. It's too hard to share it with somebody else. Plus, you don't know how they're going to respond. You know what we need to do? We need to treat each other like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And when somebody's down, what what does somebody else need to do? Come on, you can do it. I'm with you, I hear it, I've been there. I understand at least a little bit. Come on, let's go. Comfort one another in all our afflictions. Does it play for fathers? Home? Yep. What about the next one? Agree with one another. Live in peace. That's another one of those commands that makes me chuckle a little bit. Hey, agree with one another. Can you imagine? This would be so funny. If I, you know, I, I know you all a little bit. What if I took the most politically conservative person in the room and the most politically liberal person in the room? <laughs> and isn't this awesome? This is going to be so much fun. You, would you watch this TV show? And then we said, agree with one another. <laughs> and, and, and they'd look at each other and be like, you know, I'll agree with them when they come around to my, my viewpoint. What's, going, what, what's happening here? What is he saying? Is he saying every Christian needs to have the same perspective on every social issue? He can't be saying that. He can't be saying that. Is he saying every Christian is going to have the same view on how you do whatever you do? He can't be saying that. What is he saying? He is saying, emphasize what's most important and find your unity there. That's what he's saying. Emphasize what's most important and find your unity there. If you trust Jesus, the Son of God, to make you right with the Father, if you believe the Bible is God's word, and you want to be devoted to Christ. You are my brother. You are my sister. And we can agree on that and build our house on that. That is what unifies us. And we'll figure out ways to live in peace with one another in the ways we disagree. But we are going to emphasize what's most important. We are going to emphasize the gospel. That's what he's saying. Live in peace, it's the same thing as when he says sometimes, live in harmony with one another. And I love that illustration. Harmony brings two different notes of music. Two different notes can either con- confront one another, oh, it's discordant, it doesn't work, ah, or they can complement one another. They can add 
variety and beauty. And before you know it, the song was nice, but now it has harmony. Now it's beautiful because two different notes are working together in unity. And that has got to be our aim, to work together in unity, to highlight our strengths and our unity in Christ. And it wasn't a suggestion, was it? Is it a command? Do you have a choice, brothers and sisters, if you're going to follow the Lord? Or is this a command? Agree with one another, live in peace. It's a command. This is what those who are devoted to Christ will do. Does it play at home? Is it important for fatherhood? Absolutely. How about this one? This would be an easy one to obey if we took it literally. A little awkward, though. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So some of you now are like, oh, no, I sat next to the wrong person. Because we want to be obedient to Christ, so pucker up. <laughs> some of you are like, no, I'm rebelling. Okay. Uh, how many of you are in agreement that there's probably a more of a principle thing here than a literal practice thing here? Okay, I've never had anyone confront me about how we don't kiss each other enough in church services. I've never had anybody come up and say, you are so disobedient to the word, this has never occurred. Everybody seems to know this is a symbolic thing. I agree, by the way. If it doesn't mean actually kiss one another then, what does it mean? It is a command. Part of that word holy is set-apartness, uh, a valuableness. Um, my wife is holy to me, right? In a way other women aren't. And that should be seen in the way I treat her. Uh, what about you guys? Are should you be holy to me in a way? Who are you? You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you just on the same plane as everybody else out there? Or do you have a special place in my heart? You have a special place in my heart. Should you have a special place in one another's hearts? Because you and you and you and you and you and you, Jesus has loved you so much to bring you into his family. Boy, if I have any esteem for Jesus at all, won't I love and value what he loves and values? How could you say you love Jesus and then say, oh, but I can't stand everything you love, Jesus? How could you do that? You can't do that. So to greet one another with a holy kiss, it means have warm hearts for one another in how you relate. Let it be seen that you're happy to be together. You're happy to know one another. Not because you each deserve it all the time, right? Sometimes we can bug each other pretty good. But because he deserves it. It's warm hearts. It's a part of unity. This is all a part of unity. Pursue restoration. Comfort one another. Agree. Live in peace. Show warm hearts. Again, our calling. Look for the courage. Where's the courage? It's the end of verse 11. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Who's doing this first? 
Who's the one who really restores, comforts, makes peace, loves? Who is that? It's our God. It's our God. He's the one who makes peace. He's the one who rebuilds and restores. And as we live this out, what's the power and the courage for it? He's with us. He's with us. What does that word mean to you, with? I think it comes in two ways. Number one, presence. Is God actually near you, close to you, in me, in you, in this room, as we work for what pleases him? Is he here? And we should all be in awe a little bit about Do you believe that? We can all get drowsy and fall asleep on a Sunday morning, but sometimes you wake up and you think, God actually says, God, God is here. He's here. Are, are you awake to who's here? He'll be with you. With his presence, with is also power. With is also power. So if God is with you, it's not just his presence, it's his it's his strength. It's his strength. God's going to help you. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Pursue these things, and God is with you. Fathers, you got to pursue these things. Guess who's going to help you? God is going to help you. He's with you as you do this. What's more courageous, courage-giving than that? So first, we find our courage from the joy of the Lord. Second, we find it from the presence and power of God with us. Last one. Look at this. Verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Before we talk about what gets to be with us, let's just think of that audience. To, to whom, again, just remember, to whom is Paul writing? The Corinthian church, okay? Are they like a group of all-stars when it comes to Christian performance? Or they got some issues, some baggage? So much baggage. We look really hot compared to the Corinthian church, right? Any lawsuits for one another that we know of? Suing anybody? No, see, look, we've already got a leg up on them, right? Anybody coming early to get drunk on communion stuff before anybody else gets there? Not that I'm aware of, see? Two legs up on them. The reason I bring that out is Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And to, to whom, again, is he talking to? Messed up, normal Christians. That helps me. Does that help you? Because if it works for them, guess who else it's for? It's for you. It's for me. It's for me. So what do we get? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what grace is again? Lavish, undeserved love. Focus on the undeserved part. Do you deserve his love? No. But what's he giving you anyway? Lavish, 
love. Help for the weak, love for sinners, acceptance for those who have messed it up, forgiveness for those who have done wrong. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with you. Is it with you individually? His love is for you. Second, and the love of God. Which person of the triune Godhead is he talking about here, do you think? Well, we got the grace of the Lord Jesus first, and we got the fellowship of the Spirit last. Any takers? I'm going to go with the Father. The love of God, the Father. Does the Father love you? Think about it. He chose you to belong to him, says in Ephesians 1. He chose you. He picked you. He sent his son for you. Is that worth something? Then he adopted you, and he said, hey, call me, even though you don't have a right to talk to me at all, even though you don't have a right to be in my presence, through my son I'm going to bring you in. Here's what I want you to call me. Call me Father. He adopted you. He adopted you. And what is now with you? His love. His love. John Owen is a, a great Puritan theologian. And you know, you think of Puritans, and what do you think of? Rules or something? Uh, listen to what John Owen said. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is not to believe that he loves you. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is not to believe that he loves you. I think, I think for a lot of Christians, this idea, right, it's, it's, it's in our mouths, we say it, God loves you, God loves me, we say it. But come on, if, if you really had the concept of God in your mind and your heart, and him inviting you in and, call, and saying, call me Father. And the Holy Spirit, like it says in Romans 8, poured out his love in your hearts. What would it really look like to really believe that God loves you like this? What would, you, what would, what would really happen in your mind and your heart? I think we're all still cynics, even the most professional Christian of us. We're all still cynics. Does God really love you like this? Well, what would it be like in your life if you tasted that? It would change so much. Do you think, do you think Owen is right? Do you think it hurts God's? fatherly heart when you doubt his love? Is there anybody in your life you love that you've told him you love? Put it, put it in your own shoes. If you really love somebody and you're trying to serve them and you're telling them, I love you, and, and they just never trust that you love them, how do you like it? If you're a parent and, and you're, you don't love me, Mom. Have you ever gotten that one? You almost want to like pull your hair out. What are you talking about? I've given my entire life to you. God the Father loves you. I think we need to spend time thinking about ways we deny his love for us, ways we won't believe it. Confess and repent it. I think, I think we're supposed to be so thrilled on his love. 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with this word fellowship. It's in our church name, right? What on earth is that? A fellowship? I get that sometimes. What is a fellowship? I didn't know you. I, some people out there on the streets are like, I didn't even know you were a Christian church because that word fellowship like wrecked me. I have no idea what that is. Do you ever use the word fellowship if you're not a Christian? I don't know. I don't think so. It's like a museum word. Museum Christ, a museum Christian word. But it is a sweet word. It is a sweet word. I don't think we want to get rid of it. We need to explain it. What does fellowship mean? Can you remember one of the best times of your life when you were with somebody and you just felt connected to that person? And you were enjoying the moment and there was a peace and a a friendship and a sharing. And you just felt, you felt happy. You were connected in such a deep way with somebody, in such a beautiful way. That is fellowship. It's a, uh, a, a friendship, relational sharing. And look what the Holy Spirit gives to us. This is 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the what? The fellowship of his son. This is another jaw dropper. What did he just give us? What did he give us? Fellowship with his son, which means the Holy Spirit gives us and enables in us and works in us the ability to have a face-to-face relational sharing with Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you have any, any respect for Jesus at all, to see this is just to be amazed. You get to fellowship with Jesus Christ that Jesus wants to, in the ancient Near East, the illustration would be, he wants to eat with you. There would be fellowship. You would would sit together and you would share food and conversation and drink. And what what do we still love to do as human beings? I don't know. What makes any party good? Are we going to eat together, right? To eat together, to drink together, the Holy Spirit has given us the fellowship of his son. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit's love. What's the best thing he can do to you? Get you a seat next to Jesus. And that's what he's done. Do you see what Paul's landing on the church here at the end as they need courage? He is saying to them, the triune God loves you and will never stop loving you. And when you're facing a challenge, what's the sweetest, most powerful thing that could ever possibly give you courage? God loves me. Right here and right now, he loves me. So, what a calling we've been given to be devoted to Jesus in everything. Where do you find the courage? Three places, you remember? Joy in the Lord. His presence with you as you follow him. And third, the personal love of, his tr- of the triune God that will never leave you. You guys, let's look there together and let's find courage for everything we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us such great things, and we pray to you that your Holy Spirit would awaken us and uh, enable us in it. 
Lord, we pray, I pray for each person here as we think about our call and what you ask for from us. Lord, I pray that we'd hear it powerfully and clearly and directly. And that, Lord, no matter how tentative we feel or condemned or overwhelmed, Lord, that we would look to you, Lord Jesus, and find joy in you. That we would see, Father, your presence with us as we follow you. And we would be amazed by your triune love for us. And that that would give us courage to move forward, to walk forward in what you've called us to. We pray this for each one of us, and we pray this especially for fathers today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.